0: 28 in Dubai was an important one for the building sector. There was a recognition that the building sector has an important contribution to make in terms of decarbonization globally.
1: Hi, I'm Prabh Banga.
2: And I'm Adam Borgatti.
1: Welcome to the Road to Net Zero,
2: Acon sustainability podcast.
1: Okay, Happy New Year to our listeners and welcome to our first episode of 2024. I know it's super cliche to set New Year's resolutions, but I still do every year. And my sustainability-related New Year's resolution this year is to further reduce personal waste, uh, especially focused on single-use plastics. So no more of those single-use yogurt containers or even small-sized travel products. Last year, um, I started purchasing actually a lot of compostable personal care products so then I can actually compost them, put a little mini compost bin next to the bathroom sink. And also, for those of you who have been listening to my podcast, the no-shampoo movement is still going strong. What about you, Adam? Any green New Year's resolutions?
2: Yeah, for sure. Hey, everyone. Uh, in December, I was gifted a super nice Acon reusable water bottle by our fellow podcaster Clément in Montreal, and so I've been diligently using that and. Uh In terms of 24, definitely my resolution is to continue to try and minimize food and household waste. Uh, We had a great speaker at ACON in the fall during our sustainability week here who really opened the group's eyes to waste minimization, proper sorting, as you described, PRAB, uh, and lots of other areas. So the family's working uh, super hard to get all these areas in check. Many resolutions were made at the global level for sustainability at the COP28 in December.
1: That's correct, Adam. A lot of resolutions made at COP28, especially significant for the building and construction sector for this one, with a lot of announcements made about green construction materials, climate resilience infrastructure, and continued support for the energy transition, just to name a few.
2: So to talk to us in more detail about some of the key announcements at COP28 is Thomas Mueller, President and CEO at the Canada Green Building Council.
1: As the CEO, Thomas oversees the Council's National Green Building Strategy. As a part of his work, he led the development of the first zero-carbon standards in 2017 to guide decarbonization in the building sector. Thomas works directly with senior levels of government and industry on climate change and sustainability solutions and is a nationally and internationally recognized authority and speaker on green building. Thomas has an undergraduate degree in geography, planning, and applied ecology and holds a master's degree in regional planning and resource development.
2: Welcome, Thomas, and uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Oh, thank you for inviting me. It's an interesting topic that we're going to be discussing today.
2: Awesome. So I think, I mean, right off the bat, uh, tell us about your experience at COP28 and being part of the World Green Building Council delegation. What were some of the initiatives that were brought forward?
0: COP28 in Dubai was an important one for the building sector. There was a recognition that the building sector uh, has an important contribution to make uh, in terms of decarbonization globally. We know that in Canada for a long time, our federal government has uh, numerous policies and programs, both as an owner of buildings, as a policymaker on uh, decarbonizing the built environment that were developed over the last few years. But this is the global recognition. And uh, I think it's important to keep in mind that at this COP, roughly the uh, carbon emissions from the building sector for the built environment is about 30% of total global emissions. A little bit high in some countries, a little bit high in cities versus kind of rural areas. But that's kind of the average number. So leading up to, to Dubai and COP28, there was uh, what they call it for the first time, what they call a global stock take. And this is still underway where all the countries come together and say, where are we actually at uh, in terms of uh, it, you know reducing carbon emissions globally? Uh, are we on track to a 1.5? Degrees Celsius. And what uh, came out of that stock takes to date is that, um, that carbon emissions now need to be reduced by 43% by 2030 and by 60% by 2035 from 2019 levels in order to be on the right trajectory to achieve net zero. So, this is kind of the buildup that when they announced the COP was um, what they call the Billings Breakthrough that um, was supported by 28 uh, countries. Uh, At the time, I understand since COP, it has uh, grown to 60 countries. And within that, there are also connected initiatives. One was um, a breakthrough for cement and concrete, and then also a leadership initiative around building more buildings, and not just homes, but more buildings uh, with wood.
1: So you mentioned Buildings Breakthrough. So this has now been... Could you tell us more about the Buildings Breakthrough announcement?
0: We've known that for quite some time that buildings need to both new and existing buildings need to decarbonize at a very rapid scale. Uh, So now they put that into language uh, at COP28 was spearheaded actually by France and Morocco, Uh, and then Canada and U.S. We are one of those many countries that supported it going into COP. But where this all came from is is the fact that the building sector is not on track for net zero by mid-century. Um, so the emissions growing by about 1% uh, annually since 2015. And while in, in many countries, uh, efficiency and decarbonization have, um, have improved the performance of buildings. The growth in construction is kind of, uh, uh, working against that. So it's kind of offsetting that. And so there is a recognition that there needs to be more targeted action in the building sector. Um, to, to get to net zero, and within connected with that is that not only does the building sector need to decarbonize uh, more and on a more rapid scale, um, but also that um, uh, the embodied emissions from steel need to be fall by 25% and for cement by 20% by 2030. And I can tell you, knowing this industry, that's a, that's a that's a fairly uh, I would say heavy lift. Uh, we can get into that a little bit later, um, because what happened is, you're, you're both in Canada, but particularly in the, what they call now, the Global South, so emerging and developing economies, about 80% of the construction is going to happen there. And this is what's going to offset the gains that we have made, uh, in, in, you know, in uh up, leading up to COP28, um, in, in terms of decarbonizing the, the building sector. Um, And so, what, what it, basically what it says is, and we've been aligned with that through our global organization, the World Green pa- Council, as well, is to get to net zero by 2050. So all new buildings that are being built now, like as of and, and following 2030, need to be net zero operationally. So that means no more carbon emissions from operations of buildings, uh, and that is uh, for new buildings. And then you need to reduce embodied emissions by at least 40% by 2030. Once you get up to 2050, all buildings, new and retrofit need to be zero carbon and they need to be almost zero uh, as well on the embodied emissions in order to get to this 1.5 degree target. So it, it's a it's a heavy lift, but the building's breakthrough has really started to put um, uh, has really started to put some some parameters around it. What's actually needed to galvanize the global community to move forward and really pay f- focus in their respective countries, uh, uh, focus on decarbonizing the carbonizing building sector.
2: That's a lot of great uh, information there, and as you say, certainly ambitious targets. Uh, I'm still amazed walking around seeing buildings in construction and looking at some of the waste and inefficiencies and all the traditional methodologies that are still underway here and and how that has not advanced further so hopefully we've got lots more progress here. You touched a little bit on uh, cement in your discussion there and so nestled I think within the building breakthrough initiative is the cement and concrete breakthrough uh, which aims to achieve net zero emissions in cement production globally by 2030. How do you see that influencing cement and concrete in Canada?
0: Again, a good question. Uh, You know, Canada uh, was leading that cement and concrete breakthrough announcement. It was Minister Champagne from uh, ISET, so um, Industry Science and Economic Development. Um, They have been working with the industry uh, over the last couple of years, and Canada Green Building Council participated in that, in developing a a roadmap for net zero carbon concrete by 2050. So our government uh, has worked with the industry, and our industry also is more uh, forward looking in developing what would the roadmap look like. And um, uh, in terms of, uh, you know, broadening that across the the global cement industry, uh, I I think we all know that when you deal with embodied emissions from buildings, there's only two options, either build with wood, but that's also limited. Uh, how much you can build with wood. Many countries don't build their homes with wood. They build them with cementitious materials. Uh, But we all know in order to uh, reduce embodied emissions, we need to reduce the emissions from cement and from concrete. There's just no way around it. Without that that industry taking active action, we will not get to, uh, you know, zero carbon buildings both operationally from an embodied, carbon perspective so that industry taking leadership in Canada has with its roadmap uh, that other countries have now signed on to that and it's a, again a growing number like you know Canada of course and the UK and others are signing on once these breakthroughs are announced but there needs to be a significant investment of course both uh by the, by the by the industry itself but also by government in terms of you know incentivizing um uh, incentivizing and helping developing technologies like, you know, carbon uh, uh, carbon storage and utilization uh, is obviously very big. There's one plant in, in, in Canada now. Um, I believe in Alberta that uses that technology. Uh, but also, there's a whole range of issues they need to deal with, from you know, the chemistry. Cement is chemistry but as well as um, cement replacing materials to reduce the cement content in, 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 in concrete, which really is, is the one that produces the most carbon. And then also how we design our buildings. She so was less uh, concrete when we design buildings, so that it really goes back to structural engineering. Um, and then it also extends for buildings to infrastructure as well. So there's a whole range of actions that the industry needs to take um, uh, that's not just related. That they switch their, you know, their fuel sources, which is hard, um, because they need those high temperatures to make cement. But also, it goes through the entire construction industry, uh, from design to procurement to technology development to the industry itself, chemistry to actually get us there.
1: Yeah, exactly. Another material you mentioned it actually is is wood and obviously which is significantly used in, in construction as well um, and related to the building breakthrough there was also announcement about the forest and climate leaders partnership it's the greening construction with sustainable wood initiative. Uh, my thoughts and questions on this are sort of how will this initiative support procurement of sustainable wood in Canada um, and how can contractors be assured that the wood used in the construction industry is coming from a sustainably managed source?
0: Yeah, that's a a big, again, another big question, Rob, in terms of, we have to understand that these announcements at COP are very high level, essentially policy announcements that are trying to uh, convene countries around specific issues. And then these countries subscribe to these initiatives. And then they are... Uh, and, and along with the guidance that come comes with that, and then they are supposed to implement this, uh, these, this guidance within their respective countries and within the constraints within their respective countries. When I when I saw that uh, greening construction with sustainable wood announcement, which was also actually discussed uh, at the event where the building breakthrough was uh, was announced, obviously you know cement and 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 forest products. Uh, Particularly, mass timber buildings are uh, a really important part of the solution, Um, and they really um, this partnership really focuses not only on um, using more wood in construction, and I want to talk about that in a minute, but also protecting forests, making sure forests that forests are regenerated, so that there's good management forest practices, and I think that's where the sustainable wood aspect is coming from. at last look, uh, Canada was actually the country I think with the most uh, certified forest uh, to sustainability standards. And in Canada there's uh, three, right? There's the Sustainable Forest Initiative, SFI. There's um, uh, Forest Stewardship Com- Council, (FSC), so FSD, uh, which is considered to be the most stringent one. And then there's also a standard that the Canadian Standards Association, CSA, has, has put out. And they all vary uh, depending on, you know, uh, the different standards they are not all the same um again FSC is still considered to be the most stringent one um but we have a, a large a large uh, forested areas that are certified to these standards so again canada i would say ha- has a good position in terms of how it's um has certified this forest uh, and we need to make sure that when you when you think about the and i think that's you know, included in this kind of announcement. We have to make sure as we drive more use of wood in construction, that it doesn't have a negative effect on uh, deforestation and affecting ecosystems across the globe. So, uh, because the decarbonization effect cannot be the only focus. Obviously, wood has a, uh, a very good position around uh, its sequesters carbon over its life. And as long as it stays in the building, once it comes out of the building, it either is, you know, might be burned or if it's not reused, it might be burned for energy or it might end up in a landfill where the carbon is reused again. But it will certainly have a, a, a help to slow the carbon cycle. And so this at the at COP, there was a recognition that we need to use more wood in construction, which I think everybody would supports but also attached to that was also need more, uh, need uh, use more um, uh, natural derived materials in construction, not just wood, but also natural fibers and other natural materials in in, in construction to reduce the, the embodied carbon footprint of buildings. And again, this initiative was really advancing policies and approaches that really would support more wood use in construction. So when you look in Canada, we do see more and more uh, massive timber buildings being constructed that go above the typical, uh, most provinces, it's a six storey now, they go well above that, 12 storeys. This initiative has really kind of set the course that uh, countries need to look as, at, wo- uh, at wood as a, as a important, again, important element, as important part of the solution when it comes to uh, lower carbon emissions from the building sector.
2: No, for sure, it's fascinating, and uh, we're definitely watching the space and seeing some interesting examples uh, related to what we do as well across the country. So, uh, no doubt, one we're watching. You know, we've talked a lot about materials. Um, <clears throat> what we wanted to touch on a little bit now was maybe government influence and how they could influence decarbonization through procurements. So, we've seen major purchasers of construction materials for public construction projects all pledged to greening uh, government procurement for materials. Thomas. Do you think this will change the way government procures things in Canada and be reflected in the RFP processes that we're all typically a part of?
0: Well, I think it's already happening in Canada. I can tell you that much. Um, there is, uh, you know, at Globe, uh, Globe is COP, there was the Green Public Procurement Pledge that, um, again, focuses on uh, decarbonizing still in cement sectors. So there was really the focus, uh, basically, you know, uh, government sees that it has an important role in purchasing uh, materials, products, technologies um, to mainstream those, you know, those materials and so on in, in the marketplace. And also like if you the United States, which started in 2023 to procure about $4 billion US of low embodied carbon, concrete, asphalt, glass, steel for federal buildings, you can see that that level of procurement can really bring the price down and really create a market for these kinds of products. Now, in Canada, uh, our federal government, so the Treasury Board Secretariat and the, through the Greening Government uh, Initiative a strategy, they've already built that into their uh, into their strategy. They also have a bias for climate action. So, it's a group of federal, municipal provincial governments who uh, agreed to, uh, uh, purchase products that have a lower carbon footprint, um, and then buy them in kind of in a volume again to um, to mainstream these 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 products in the marketplace, but also bring down the price. So we're seeing that, um, and um, our government, through the greening government strategy, the procurement also has a, is another component to it. One is the materials. And hoping to you know uh, and to uh, to, break, to reduce the price of these uh, products and materials and technologies, but the other part is when you start looking at the, uh, the government as a building owner, and our government has uh, done a number of things. Uh, first of all, they're going to build all new buildings over a certain size to zero carbon. So that's the the, the standard that uh, the Canada Green Building Council has developed and in, in, in released in the marketplace in 2017. We have over 250 buildings now in that in, in, in that program um, and an increasing number is certified and that includes both new and existing buildings. So it works um, across the board and it increases operational carbon. The, the office leases and lease renewals, they need to report on energy, water, waste, GHGs through uh, Energy Star Portfolio Manager. So this procurement is not just about products and materials and technologies, it's also government as an owner can have a major impact uh, on on the market.
1: Thank you, Thomas, for providing those um, insights, especially into the Canadian market. Um, the the three hundred dollar uh, price on carbon and that being included in a business case is interesting. I'm always kind of wondering if if we'll see more of that in the construction industry and kind of putting a price on carbon and including it in a business case. So that's, that'll be interesting to see if we see that trend in 2024 and beyond. But speaking of trends and to wrap up, could you tell us sort of what your the top trends that you see in, in 2024 for our industry?
0: For the industry, I think the one trend that we really need to watch is uh, whole life carbon. So that really means that more complete view of carbon and how the industry needs to needs to deal with the different stages of construction retrofit and then obviously um, disposal. So that's one to watch. Second one to watch in the industry is that jurisdictions across this country increasingly are looking at carbon disclosure and regulation. So um, the city of Vancouver, for example, they have now put in a bylaw or about to put on a bylaw. I think it's it's passed that. Um, uh, buildings over a certain size can only emit so much carbon. And if they emit more, then you have to pay a penalty based the uh, per ton of carbon emitted. And then a third one I would say is carbon measurement and disclosure will have uh, a really profound effect on how investors are looking at building projects. So we are now in an environment where we have moved from the the green premium that green buildings cost more um, and you know, realistically, yeah, they they do cost more. Zero carbon buildings do cost more in most instances, but they also bring value over the life cycle of that building, that will become more and more important as time goes on, as carbon taxes increase. Um, but the other part is it's moved to what is called the brown discount. The investors are becoming, particularly investors out of Europe right now, but others as well, become very critical around. We take a critical look. It's what is the carbon performance of the building that I'm about to purchase or about to invest in? And is that that asset still a, a asset provides the returns in 10, 20, 30 years? Uh, and that is a very important um, a trend that we see strengthening that the whole financial community, the investment community, uh, um, strengthening its requirement for carbon disclosure and transparency that it can better assess what investing in.
1: That's great. Thank you so much, Thomas, for providing your insights. This is a great way to start the year with with the first episode of our podcast by getting these trends and key initiatives announced at um, COP28. And to learn more about COP28 and some some other key trends, Thomas actually wrote a very insightful article called COP28, What Does It Mean for Canada's Building Sector? on the Canada Green Building Council website. So definitely check that out. But thank you so much, Thomas, for joining us today.
0: You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me.
1: Thanks for listening to today's podcast. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Acon Group Inc. for more updates and teasers about upcoming episodes. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Apple, Google, or Spotify podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening to our Road to Net Zero podcast.